0: All right, let's turn once again back to Revelation chapter 3, and again we'll be looking tonight at verses 1 through 6, the church in Sardis uh, with a subtitle of Be Watchful. So the church in Sardis, Be Watchful. As we begin Revelation 3, we have three more of the letters to the seven churches, the letters of Christ. Uh, to Sardis here in verses 1 through 6, to the church in Philadelphia, verses 7 through 13, and then probably one of the most familiar of the churches to the church of Laodicea, which will cover verses 14 through 22. So tonight we will deal primarily with Revelation 3. I want to draw your attention, since we read the passage already, just want to draw your attention to verse number 2 of Revelation 3. It says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. The city of Sardis itself was composed of people who thought very highly of themselves. Uh, the people of Sardis would be described as very prideful, uh, very arrogant and overconfident uh, primarily in the defenses of their city in other words they felt as if uh, they could not be attacked they thought we are an impenetrable city uh, because the city of Sardis uh, sat upon a nearly inaccessible hill Uh, it was surrounded by cliffs uh, but throughout history Sardis was conquered twice because they failed to keep watch. Our Lord's words are always relevant. They're always relevant even to the letters that are written. The fact that the Lord Jesus uses the term be watchful was a reminder to the church at Sardis about what had happened to Sardis when they failed to be watchful, their city was attacked, and they were conquered. So the city uh, was on what we would refer to as a downturn or a downgrade. Uh, it was marked by decay. Uh, people were leaving uh, the city of Sardis. They were, uh, they were deserting the place. Uh, it would be described as a city that had a very glorious past, but had misplaced its security. In other words, it was a city that thought We have a golden past. We were a great city, and yet we have security even though it's been proven that they had been conquered twice. Now the church in Sardis, why the Lord Jesus makes mention of them, was in what would be referred to as a spiritual decline as well. It was decaying. Uh, One commentator used to describe it as a spiritual stupor, to be in a place where really uh, you are not paying attention, you're not watching, you're not really concerned, but yet there was great danger. Uh, The church itself had a good reputation. It had a good name. The Lord mentions there, even in verse number one, it says, thou hast the name that thou livest and art dead. In other words, the church at Sardis had a good name. They had a good reputation. But notice the word of our Lord. He uses an expression. He says, you have a good name, but you're dead. The reputation was not worth what is actually going on. It is possible, folks, for us to have a good name, even as a church, and to yet be spiritually in a stupor, in a spirit or a a time of deadness. Now, unlike the churches in Pergamos and also in Thyatira, which we've looked at the last two weeks, uh, those places, of course, they they were giving in to the social and the economic pressures of the places they were, But notice what Christ says in verse 4. He says, You have, thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So Jesus does identify that there are a few in this church who have not defiled their garments. Sardis, as it's decaying as a city, the church. Is following in that same pattern. Notice Christ describes himself as he who gives life. Look at verse number one. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works. Uh, By the very means of the life-giving spirits in which Christ describes himself, uh, he is he is telling them, you have the words of life. You have the ministers, the seven spirits of God. You have the seven stars. You have the messengers. You have, the, you have what you need to revive your dead but good reputation church. It almost sounds contrary. How can you have a good name and be dead? That's what Jesus is accusing this church of. You have a good reputation, but spiritually, I know your works and you are dead. Our Lord's command to them was be watchful. Again, playing on what had caused the city of Sardis to be conquered twice. You're not watching. Not only does he say be watchful, but he also says to strengthen the things which remain. Strengthen those things, act as you should based upon what you have in the midst. So there are really, um, there's a number of different headings tonight. Um, and by breaking this up, we understand that Jesus is dealing with the reputation of this church, of course, in the first two verses. He's dealing with the remembrance of this church in verse 3, and then in verses 4 through 6, he's describing the remnant of his church. Now, those are three very broad headings. I'm not necessarily going to fill in the blanks under those headings, but it's a way that you can take those six verses and you can kind of break them up. So you have the, the, the idea of the reputation, you have the remembrance, and then you have the remnant. Now what makes this letter even more remarkable is what we've seen in the previous letters is Jesus has started with a commendation before he goes to the condemnation. In this particular letter to the church at Sardis, he begins not with commending them, but he begins by telling them immediately what is wrong. In other words, Sardis does not really say anything positive. You might say, well, he does say they have a name that you live, but are dead. That is not, that is not a compliment. The fact that he's telling them you have a name, but you're dead is not a commendation. That's a condemnation. This should not be the case. In other words, you should not have a reputation that you have not earned or a reputation that is not real. There's going to be a number of lessons that are going to come out of that particular thought here in just a moment. He proceeds to tell them what's wrong. He does this also to the church at Laodicea, which we'll see in a couple weeks. Laodicea is known as the church that really had problems. Laodicea is the one that we read about tonight that, he, that was lukewarm. And the Lord himself says, I would rather you were hot or cold rather than lukewarm because the, your lukewarmness, uh, it makes me sick is what he's really saying. So the majority of the church is identified, and we saw, we saw this already in verse 4. Thou hast a few names in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. So notice what he's doing here. There are more who have defiled their garments than haven't. This church might be referred to as the peaceful but dead church. Sardis was not causing any problems in Sardis. It also is not mentioned as being under persecution. It's not mentioned as being a thorn in the side of the city. Nobody's upset at the church at Sardis because it's not really doing anything. It's just peaceful. Now, folks, you do realize tonight that the majority of our country would rather the churches just be peaceful. Don't say anything controversial. Don't say anything that stirs up the hornet's nest. Just be quiet. Be peaceful. Peaceful churches can have a great reputation. But that doesn't mean that God is pleased with it. Now, understand me tonight, churches should have a good reputation for standing for the truth. But I also know this, that a good reputation does not identify a good church. Because sometimes standing for the truth is going to give you a bad reputation within that community, not because you're mean-spirited, but because you are preaching the truth. Uh, There are people who think you are mean-spirited because you go to a church that preaches the truth. That's the reality of what's happening. There is no compliments in this letter other than the few in Sardis that have not defiled their garments. Now that word defiled, and I went searching a few different commentaries and a few different word searches on that. The word defiled here in my translation, it does give a good a good idea of what it means. But this really, it, it, again, I'm not trying to be crude. It means soiling the garments is really what this means. That it, this is the abomination. That you have defiled the garments. What garments is he talking about? He's talking about the garments that should be white. Now, white obviously shows up the, various, the very smallest of defilement, of dirt. It shows almost immediately. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to hide it. But he says there are few in Sardis who have not defiled their garments and are worthy of me. It's a very important lesson that's being taught here. So tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to give us really two aspects of this. I kind of gave you the outline of the reputation, the remembrance, and the remnant. But I'm going to give you really two headings. One's going to be primarily the exposition, and then the second half is going to be the application. So notice again back in verse 1, it says, I know thy works, I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest. Again, Sardis had a good reputation, but here's the truth. They did not deserve to have a good reputation. Jesus is declaring that you should not have a good reputation because you, yes, you have a name, but you are dead. They were failing to be a light bearer. They were failing to proclaim boldly and openly the gospel. They were peaceful, but dead. Again, this country would not be upset at all if all the churches in America were just peaceful and said nothing. They would not interfere with services. They would not be bothered. There would be no persecution in churches anywhere around the world if they just sat and did nothing. Just be peaceful. That's what people expect of churches. You're just there to be quiet and be peaceful. That's the opposite of what we're supposed to be. Now, we are preaching the gospel of peace. There is no greater peace than the Lord Jesus Christ. What this world needs is not more legislation, it needs the peace of God, it needs Jesus Christ. But imagine preaching the greatest need that a country has and being retur- with return being persecuted for giving and proclaiming what mankind needs. Peaceful churches are often churches that are not standing for the truth. That's what Jesus is accusing Sardis of. You have a good name in the community because you don't cause any trouble. You're not offending anybody. What we've learned on Sundays, the gospel is offensive. It's offensive. There is no way to sugarcoat the gospel, the true gospel, and not offend the sinner. History tells us that the Jews and the Gentiles never really troubled the people in the church in Sardis. Sardis was a peaceful church. It enjoyed peace, but as one commentator put it, it was like the peace you find in a cemetery. It's quiet because it's filled with dead people. That's the reality of what was going on in Sardis. Christ is telling these, this church that they need to wake up and remain awake. Be watchful. Strengthen the things which, are, which remain because what's coming? He says you are on the verge of death. Strengthen the things, in verse 2, which remain that are ready to die. They're on the verge of death. He says, be watchful. Don't fall into the trap that the city did by thinking it was impenetrable. Be watchful and strengthen the things that remain. And then notice this expression, I have not found thy works perfect before God. These perfect works, he's identifying that there are things that were happening. There's no doubt if we would have gone to this church in Sardis, they had religious ceremonies going on. They had religious customs. They had traditions. They were probably holding services. But their forms and their liturgy, their order of service, what was going on was dead. It was just a form of godliness. Faith and hope and love... Genuine sincerity for the love of Christ was lacking. It was just a shell. Had a name, peaceful, but the Lord says, unworthy of that reputation and dead. What's Jesus telling them to do? Remember your past. Remember, they were relying on their glorious past, saying, Look, we were a great church one time. We were living and standing for the truth. I can't tell you how many churches over the number of years, that's exactly what's happening. They're resting in what they used to be. Peaceful, but dead. People should recall, remember the past. They should return to a life of obedience when the gospel was preached to them and they heard it and received it. Now, Jesus does make mention of that when he said in verse 3, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. They're accountable. This is not a matter of the gospel had not gone there. This was a matter of forgetfulness. And what does he tell them to do? Hold fast to the things you've received and heard and what? Repent. Return back to what you know. The warning goes on in verse number three, says there, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. We'll read Matthew 24, 43 in just a moment, but the church at Sardis knew exactly what the Lord meant when he said, if you don't watch, I will come at a time when you don't expect me to come. It's a warning it's a warning, as we've learned in the last couple of letters, that I will come and I will remove that candlestick if need be. The Lord will move and remove dead churches. You can be peaceful. You can be, have a good reputation. But as far as the eyes of God are, it's a dead church. That's what was happening in Sardis. And in verse 4, what appears again? we've already talked about this, appears to be the only real commendation he gives. Thou hast a few names that have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. A few names. Now here's the beauty about the Lord. He knows exactly who those individuals were. When we read the inspired scripture and he says... I know thou hast a few names even in Sardis. You know, Jesus is not just saying that in a general term and saying, yeah, there's a a few. I don't know who they are. No, he knows exactly the names of the people who had not defiled their garments. It's again that picture of you and I could be seated in a church like ours and we could think, look, uh, everything is fine between myself and the Lord, and yet we could be nothing more than a peaceful, dead church. That's exactly what Sardis, but he said there's a few. There's a few who were known individually. God knew exactly who they were. He knows his children. He knows his elect. They were lights. They were holding up the gospel. Those few are referred to as having the garment unspotted because he said there's a few that have not defiled their garments. Now, the reference to white here, of course, is a a reference to purity. A white garment is the white garment of God's glory. White indicates holiness. White indicates purity, perfection. It's the opposite of the defiled garments. If you'll go back to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, this is one reference to the importance of white and what it signifies. So we can see that this is not just... a a tradition or a saying that has come about. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. The reference here to these walk, the raiments that are in white is a reference to the garments of salvation. These individuals are wearing the garment of salvation. Much later in the book of Revelation, if you go all the way to Revelation 19, there's a reference made here about these uh, white garments. Uh, Revelation 19, verse number 8. And it says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb, And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. So Christ identifies there are those who are truly, those who are wearing white, are worthy of me. Not their own worthiness, not their own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He says there are a few. Verse number five. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Uh, When earthly citizens die, uh, your name, uh, in a sense, becomes erased from the records. You're no longer living. You're no longer a, quote-unquote, part of society but do you realize that those he's speaking about, those who are worthy of him, those who have not defiled their garments, those who are wearing the garments of salvation, those who are at the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is what Revelation nineteen eight and 9 is talking about, they are those whose names will never be blotted out of the book of life. They are the names of those that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to confess before his Father. And he's going to say, he's going to present them unspotted, unblemished. And he's going to call them his own. There's a really beautiful picture here. Christ himself says that these who have not, those who are mine, eternal life will endure for them. I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels, He says. Christ Himself is going to publicly acknowledge those individuals before His Father. Matthew 10, verse 32 tells us about this. Matthew 10, verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men... Him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven, but whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So we see the beauty here that Christ will call of his own and he will claim them. He will acknowledge uh, that they are in fact his. So we see, the, we see the contrast here. We see the contrast between those who've defiled those garments And those who, he says, who have not defiled, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And then, of course, verse 6 is how each one of these letters has ended. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Again, that is the demand and call of attention that finishes this short letter to the church at Sardis. By the way, every word that God speaks through the Scriptures is worthy and deserves our attention. And that's why we don't just pick and choose which parts of the Bible we're going to adhere to, which parts of the Scriptures we're going to acknowledge. We believe in preaching and teaching the entire counsel of God. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Now, that's the exposition. Now, briefly, let me give you some applications. And these are going to be headings into themselves. And they're really applications that are going to apply to us as we think about what kind of things did Sardis allow to happen that got their eye off of the, of the Lord? What made them unwatchful? What would make a church like ours, what would make a church today in Springfield become unwatchful? The first heading is the deceitfulness of peace. Peace is deceptive. You know, the world is screaming out that what the world really needs is peace. But do you realize that the peace that they're asking for is not an eternal peace and it's not the peace of God? What they're asking for is peace between people. They're asking for peace between nations, that that rockets stop flying over nations' borders. And again, we want rockets to stop flying over borders. But do you realize that peace can be deceptive? How many times throughout American history and world history have we witnessed a peace treaty only to be broken? Peace is deceptive. How is peace deceptive in a church? Just like it was for Sardis. We have a good reputation. We're peaceful. It deceives us into believing that we are fine. We could enjoy peace, but again, as that commentator mentioned earlier, it could be the peace that we find in a cemetery. I might walk out to a cemetery today, and I could sit out there, and it's probably pretty peaceful but what am I surrounded by? Death. I'm surrounded by death. There's no one in those graves that is getting up. But I could say I'm at peace. The book of Jeremiah mentions when Jeremiah the prophet is even preaching, and he preaches about peace, peace. And what does he say? When there is no peace, there are people who are sitting, sitting in churches who think that they're okay with God. They think they're going to heaven and it's, they're not at peace. Their soul is still bound for hell, but yet they think there's peace when there is no peace. Peace can be deceptive. The church at Sardis had all of the ceremonies going. They had the services, they had the traditions, but he says, you are ready to die. And they don't even seem to recognize what's happening. Folks, we don't want to be a church that's peaceful but dead. And that's the deceptiveness. Peace can deceive you. The city of Sardis was deceived into believing that because we're up on these mountains and because we're in an inaccessible hill, nobody can conquer us. And yet that's exactly what happened. The Roman government at one time thought it was impenetrable too. And the Roman government fell. Our nation can think we're at peace and that nothing can attack us, nothing can harm us, no other nation can come against us. It's a false sense of peace. It deceives. So there's a warning in there. Secondly, there is the prospect of hope. Christ is saying there is hope. Be watchful, strengthen the things which remain, Remember what you've received, what you've heard, and repent. There's hope. All hope is not lost when Jesus writes to these churches. If, those few, if only a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, if those people were the only ones, if the others would just wake up and strengthen the things which remain, now it might be that remnant It might be the faithful few that Jesus had in mind when he said, there are a few who haven't defiled their garments, but it's time for them to wake up. It's time for them to be watchful. It's time for them to do something. There's the promise of the white robes. There's the promise of being remembered and being confessed and acknowledged before his father. Those ones who are clothed in the white garments from Christ will have their name written eternally in the book of life. So there's still hope. A church today, prayerfully it's not ours, that's at peace, but dying, there's still hope to repent. There's still a possibility of a repentance and a revival, a bringing back to what it once was. Thirdly, there's the promise of judgment. Jesus is very clear that if this church does not wake up, if it does not watch, if it does not receive what it's heard and repent, He says, I will come upon them when they don't expect it. Matthew 24, verses 43 through 44 says, But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. The reality is, is when Christ comes to remove these candlesticks, he's not going to announce he's coming. Folks, where is the fear of God? Where is the fear of the Lord's return? Where is the fear of the Lord finding us? in a state like Sardis where we're peaceful but dead. You see tonight this is something our whole church needs to hear. Everyone that calls this church their church home needs to hear this because this is how deceptive it can be. We can think everything is good and peaceful and we're getting along and yet We could have the same warning being put on us, but there's only a few who have not defiled the garments. You see, we should be on guard and we should be watchful, just as it says at all moments, to be sure that we are not subjecting ourselves to the promise of God's judgment. Now, I gave you the heading of the uh, deceitfulness of peace, but there's also the heading of the perception of peace. We might say today, what's the biggest problem with the church? Now, some people might say, well, the biggest problem with the church is scandal. The biggest, biggest problem with the church is, is some of the horrible things we've heard about happening. But do you know that probably the greatest, the greatest problem that's going on in the church is not even these giant scandals. It's the reality of churches being comfortable in the state that they are at peace. You see, we're very quick to point out and say that church is filled with wickedness, and rightfully so. But what about the churches who have just grown comfortable and peaceful and say, what I'm really looking for is just a church that doesn't make waves. It's the perception of a comfortable state. Now, maybe it's our pride. Maybe it's our self-satisfaction that we forget. We forget that Jesus himself says, I will come like a thief in the night. He's not going to announce it. Again, he says, I'm coming at a time when you think not. Maybe the reality is we should stop congratulating ourselves when there really isn't anything to congratulate ourselves for. See, they were patting themselves on the back. Sardis was because they had a good reputation. They had a good name. And Jesus says, you don't deserve that good name because you're dead. Your works are not perfect before God. But then there's the promise of a reward. There is, in fact, a great reward that is promised to those who overcome. The same shall be clothed in white raiment. It is the reality of the perseverance of the saints. It is the reality of the purity that the garments of salvation bring. These white garments have been debated over years when commentators have said, when we get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, are we actually going to be wearing white garments? Is it, is it going to be garments? We look around the room, is everybody going to be seated around the table and actually have white garments on? And there's debates on both sides. It's not, some say it's not a legitimate white garment. Some just say it's, it's the purity and the holiness of the righteousness of Christ. But either way, you see what's happening here. Those who overcome are those who are truly wearing the garments of salvation. Folks, I can't say it strongly enough, and I say it, I say it till people get tired of hearing it. But just because people are seated in churches do, does not mean they are wearing the garments of salvation. This church included. If this place is full on Sunday morning, that doesn't mean every person in this building is saved. That's why we continue every time we're together that the gospel continues to be preached because we're making absolutely positively no assumptions. I'm not making any assumptions about you. I'm not making any assumptions about me. We keep preaching the gospel. Some people will not like that. Some people will say it is unnecessary to preach the gospel every time the church gathers. I strongly disagree. The whole counsel of God includes the gospel and everything else, but you realize that the gospel and the message of salvation permeates the entirety of scripture. The promise of reward here is not based on works of merit, but on the work of Christ. White is a symbol of the purity of God's grace, holiness, and we don't understand this fully. But holiness, when it's perfected in us, when we are seated at the marriage supper of the Lamb, whether it's true white garments or the righteousness, pure holiness, folks, you and I don't know what this looks like. Because right now, you and I are not perfectly holy. You are still defiled by your sin. And I've said it, one of the, and the Bible says it, when we will, we will see him as he is and we will be like him, it's the part of the mystery of God. We don't fully get what it's going to be like to be perfectly holy and pure and even worthy to wear white robes. Because right now in and of ourselves, without Christ's righteousness, we don't deserve to put a white robe on. Because it certainly can't be from our own works and it certainly can't be because we're sinlessly perfected, Right? But this holiness, when it's perfected, this is the promise of reward. The promise of heaven is not your mansion. You're not going to care. Your promise of reward is the garment of pure white, of pure, perfected holiness. That is the reward. Who is the giver of that reward? The Lord Jesus Christ, who you will want to see. (laughs) But what a promise, a reward. I will not blot out His name, but I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. Folks, this is the great promise. This is the great reward. To have one day the Lord Jesus Christ Acknowledge us before the Father and present us before the Father as holy and blameless and undefiled in our perfect purity and perfect righteousness based upon the Christ who died for us. See, we think in such present terms that we don't think about the glory that awaits us. These application headings I think they're important to remember. Remember the deceitfulness of peace. Remember that even in a time when we have been deceived by the peace that truly we shouldn't be, there is the prospect of hope. But remember that the judgment that is promised that God Himself, the Son, will come as a thief in the night, as a church, and as a church as a whole. May we never get comfortable. May we never just simply say... I've reached what I want to reach, peaceful church. I go to a peaceful church, but the Lord says is dead. People often say, you know, you really shouldn't do what you do because a reward may be awaiting you. I'm going to disagree with that a little bit. I think the promise of a reward like the perfect holiness and purity of the righteous of Jesus Christ is a reward worth working towards even though I'm not earning it, shouldn't that make me want to live a life that's different because of that reward? Say, wow, I'm too holy to work for my rewards. I'm not saying you to work to earn them. I'm saying we're working because of what's been done for us. We should want to live as close to perfect as we can and as pure as we can because of the reward. And in essence, that's what Jesus was telling the church at Sardis. There's a few of you who are wearing the garments of salvation. And the few of you that are, remain watchful. Strengthen the things which remain. You see, the church at Sardis as a whole had forgotten its high and holy calling. And as a result, it had forgotten its holy character and was a dead church. If you study the times and study history, you will find there used to be a lot of churches. You will find there used to be a lot of, you go years back, churches like ours used to be the most prevalent of churches, those who held to the doctrines of grace. That's no longer the case right now. We're actually still in the minority. What happened? Churches stopped watching. Churches started getting peaceful. Study church history. You will find most churches who were founded in this country were founded upon the doctrines that we hold so dear and so true, which we believe is is biblical. But it's also interesting to note that our churches, like ours, are still some of the least attended across the board. Because there is such a hatred and such a spite for the idea that I did not choose my own righteousness. But yet the beauty of Christ's church is I've... He says, I'm the one that has called you. I'm the one that the Father Father gave unto me. That doesn't bring arrogance. That humbles us. Christ reminds the church at Sardis, and I believe He's reminding us to strengthen the things which remain. Remember what has happened to us. Remember what Christ has done for us. Remember what we have received. Remember what we've heard. Repent where we need to repent. Folks, one of the great deceptions of our own heart is to think, I don't need to repent. We tell our own heart, what I did's really not that bad. When what we really need to do is respond in repentance. That's what Jesus is telling the church at Sardis. Repent and be standing for the glory of God and for the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of the church in Sardis, difficult to handle, difficult to hear, but I think the application is very clear. Be watchful. Don't think that it cannot happen to you And don't think it can't happen to us to where we could be known as a peaceful but dead church. And that's what the Lord is warning not only Sardis against, but also warning all of his churches against. Let's finish our time tonight by singing the hymn on 289. This thought has been running through my mind all week and the cross alone I glory. 289 will stand as we sing our closing hymn.